If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is where we left off. And that's where we find ourselves again this morning. Verses 12 through 17 will be our focus. Been looking forward to preaching this message all week after studying this passage. It's a good section here. Remember that Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, uh, asking him to stay at the church there in Ephesus to deal with false teaching that has crept in uh, to the body. Uh, this false teaching that is taking place, uh, this will continue to play out as we go through this book. We'll see more about it. Uh, and we'll also see Paul start to talk about the life of the church, what, the life, what it looks like to live life together uh, within the church and how that plays out. But last week our main focus was on the false teaching uh, that was taking place there in Ephesus and what was going on, at least based off of what Paul was written. And if you recall, it seems, it seems like there were people coming up within the body who uh, were starting to teach some things using the law that was not actually true to Scripture. Uh, we're maybe adding some things to the gospel in order for people to be saved. Again, we don't know fully what it was. We do know that Paul said uh, that there were people there talking about myths, endless genealogies, things that just seem to promote speculation instead of truth uh, and quarrels amongst the people. But it seems like uh, after Paul was writing some of this that there were unnecessary burdens being put on the congregation. And again, it was things about the law and things that seemed to be troubling some. And today what we're going to see is Paul use himself as an example that the gospel is enough. And I know that's something that we say in here, and maybe even something that you know and that you would say also. But it's very easy for other things to start to creep into our life to where we say the gospel is enough, but we start to live differently. Or we even start to feel differently. And we need to be careful with that. And we need to be reminded often as Christians that the work of Christ and his blood is enough for your salvation. Nothing else is needed. You might recall when we went through the Galatians series, if you're a math person, you might like this, a little equation, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the equation for us as Christians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if as a math person that really bothers you because you have a plus nothing in there, you could just say Jesus equals everything. Okay, we can eliminate the plus nothing. But the problem is, like I said, it's very easy for things to start to creep in to where we say, well, Jesus plus church attendance equals everything. Or Jesus plus reading my Bible every day is then what equals everything. Or Jesus plus morality is what really equals something. And we have to be careful with that because we know that we're supposed to be moral. We know that scripture teaches that we need to be a part of a church and be there. We, we know that we should read our Bible every day. But those things are not what equal our salvation. Those are fruits that end up coming out after salvation. But that's not what equals salvation. That's not what equals being justified in the eyes of God. That is not what gets us redeemed. And many of us this morning, if we're being honest with ourselves, you walk in here this morning with your head down 
and feeling ashamed. And some of you this morning may be even questioning your salvation and your relationship with God because when you look at your life, you know that this week you were not as good as you should be. And Satan uses that for doubt to start to creep into your life to where you start to question, I wonder if I really am a Christian this morning. And that's not a bad thing to ask. We should look within and question and ask ourselves, am I really trusting the gospel? Because if I'm not trusting the gospel message, then I'm not a Christian. If I'm trusting in these other things, then I, I'm not actually trusting in the true saving faith of the gospel. So it is a good question to be asking. And why I like this passage so much this morning is because it is a great reminder for us of what saves us. And it's the work that God has done in Christ and nothing else. And we can rest assured of that this morning. And so follow along with me as we begin in verse 12. And we're going to read through 17. And listen as Paul uses himself to quiet the false teaching. Paul here uses himself to encourage Timothy that the gospel is what needs to be shared. So beginning in verse 12. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you look at the very beginning of verse 12, Paul, right off the bat, says, I thank him who has given me strength. Paul wants to establish, as he's beginning to use himself an example, he wants it to be known that the life he has, the who he is, the salvation that he has been given, is only because of one person, and that person is not himself. That person is Jesus. Jesus alone has given Paul strength to serve him, and Paul states that emphatically right there at the beginning of 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. He wants this to be the base, and so he says it right away. And we must remember this point, that the only reason that we get to go about and do the things that we do live the life that we live is because of the grace of Jesus in our life. And that's even the case for those of you this morning who's never trusted in Christ. You might be in here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're still questioning if, if this is true and you're, you're kind of wondering about that. You as well as me this morning, the only reason I can get up here and talk, the only reason that I was able to get out of bed, the only reason that I was able to drive my car is because God and his great grace gave me the strength to do it. I think sometimes we get past that, it seems, in our life, and we start to think it's because we work out. 
We think it's because we're young. Or we think it's because we've just gotten so smart that these things become easy. No, the only reason that your body functions at all is because of the grace of God in your life. And he's given you the strength to do it. We need to hold on to that and we need to remember that. And Paul is saying that here. He has given me all strength. Paul had a very rough road when God called him. The thing that God had called him to was extremely difficult and it would lead him to so many difficult situations and circumstances. And when you read about the life of Paul, it almost seems like he is a superhero. But we have to step back and remember Paul's own words. He's saying, I'm no, I'm no superhero. The only reason I can get bit by a snake, a venomous snake, and everybody's waiting for me to die, is not because I'm something special. It's the strength that God has given me. It's him in me. It's his grace in my life. And so he sets that standard right off the bat for us. But he goes on there in verse 12. And he says, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Now, at first glance, one might think what Paul is saying here is that God somehow saw how faithful Paul was And because Paul was so faithful, he therefore gave him a special task to do. And we have to be careful with that interpretation of which some people will say from this verse. And we cannot do that. We cannot look at this and say, look at Paul earned this role. And then look at our life and say, well, I've earned this. God saw this within me and therefore he's given me this task. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. And we know that he cannot be saying this for a couple reasons. Number one, if it's because of Paul's faithfulness that God has strengthened him and called him to this task, then why in the world at the beginning does Paul say, I thank him? What should then be said is, God should thank me. God should thank me this morning of how faithful I am. And so if, if that's what Paul's trying to get across here, his thankfulness is null and void. But it's not null and void because that's not what Paul is getting at. In John 15, chapter, six, in chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says this, he says, you did not choose me, in talking to the disciples, but I chose you, and I appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is something that Paul believed, and he knows and understands, said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And so there's no way here that Paul is saying, because of me, God has chosen me for this task. Well, then what is Paul saying here? Well, Paul knows already, he stated this, that his strength comes from the Lord alone. And he said this, like I said, already at the beginning. And so what Paul is saying here is saying that God has appointed him to a task and has given him the strength to fulfill the task and to be faithful in the task. Paul understands and realizes that apart from the strength from God, I would have quit the task. There's no way that I could keep going. There's no way that I could remain faithful in this, but God has strengthened me to do it. See, there's an interesting thing in Acts chapter 9. This is where Paul's conversion takes place. After Paul's conversion, Paul is told told to go see a man. And Paul speaks to this man, or, and the Lord speaks to this man first. And notice what he says in Acts 9, verses 15 to 16. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name 
before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then here's what all of us want to hear when God gives us a task. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul was, was saved on the road to Damascus, not looking for Christ, but Christ had chose him and, and saved him and also had set him aside for a special task in which God says, I will show him how much he's going to have to suffer. That's why Paul would say, he has given me the strength to be faithful. Because without that strength given by God, Paul would have quit and failed miserably. Now, I don't want you to think that what I'm saying here is that God will never give you anything you cannot handle. Because that's not true. If that were the case, Paul would still be with us today, but there were just things that Paul couldn't handle. One was being old age, one was being death because he was killed and martyred. So there was a point in Paul's life where it was like, I can't handle this. My head just got cut off. And so I don't want you to think, well, Pastor Tim said this morning, God will never call me to something I cannot handle. No, that's, that's not true. That will happen. Uh, there's going to be times when we fail and when we, when we fall. There's going to be situations in our life to when we find out, I cannot handle this much. And that's okay. But we do see something here that Paul was given a specific ministry and God had given him the strength to fulfill that certain ministry. And so God does give us tasks and we need to be assured that when God gives us these tasks and these ministries that we're allowed to be a part of, God also gives us the tools necessary to fulfill the task, to, to do the task. Some of you are living witnesses of this. Some of you have taught Sunday school here for a long time. You would not have the perseverance to do that if God did not give you the perseverance to do that, especially those of you teaching children. There's no way you could teach kids that long without God giving you the special faithfulness to deal with that group of people. I've got to be assured of that. And you might even say that yourself. It's like, how do you keep going? It's been three years straight. It's been five years straight. It's been 30 years straight. It's been 50 years straight. And you continue to do this? It's like, well, God has allowed me to do it. God's given me the patience to not kill any of them yet. Right? God, God has allowed me to do this. And, and you know that when you look within, it's like it's not anything special within me. It's this is what God has called me to. I, I know that this is what he's called me to. He's, he's given me a passion to to love these kids and to love their families and therefore I keep doing this. It's not because I'm something special, it's because he is special. And he's allowed me to do this and to be a part of this. And so we thank God that he gives us the tools, he gives us the patience, he, he gives us the faithfulness, he gives us the fortitude to be able to keep going in the work of ministry. The commentator, Matthew Henry, in talking about this section, he states it this way. And he's talking about uh, pastors specifically. Uh, but it says, it is Christ who calls men into ministry. Paul's saying that here. God has given me this. Those he calls, he fits for ministry. He's not going to call someone for ministry just so that they can fail miserably in ministry. 
He fits them for ministry. He gives not only ability, but fidelity to the ministry. And then lastly, Matthew Henry states, a call to ministry is a great favor. And Paul actually thanks God for the work of the ministry, of which his was told to him, it's going to be a tough one. You're going to suffer. You know, when you look at statistics for ministry, and specifically the pastoral ministry, pastors don't last very long. Just a couple years. For most of them, it's, it's just a couple years, and then, they, and then they fade off. And you might wonder, well, well, why is that? And it's because it can be a difficult work. It can be a difficult task. But I think a lot of men approach the ministry and think, I'm going to make everything work. Wait till you see my church in a couple years. Wait till you see the people sitting under me. They are going to be on fire for the Lord. They're going to know the Bible inside and out. I mean, our church is just going to be blowing up. And then two years down the road, and their church is worse than ever before. And they're like, I'm out. I'm not called for this. I I shouldn't be doing this. Now, I'm not going to sit here and question those men's calling. I, I have no idea, but... We're not promised this easy-peasy ministry. I'm speaking about pastors there, but that's in your ministry as well, and you know that. As you do the things that God calls you to do, it's not always going to be an easy road. But just like pastors are called, and we'll see this in Timothy later on, Paul urges Timothy, and he tells Timothy, remember your calling. That's what he says to Timothy to keep going and to keep being faithful. Remember your calling, of which we have the same thing on us, all of us, as we minister in this church that God has called us to. Remember your calling and what you're called to do here at this church and do it faithfully. You say, but yeah, but it keeps getting difficult. Yeah, we're all a part of it. That's why it's difficult. We are difficult people. But keep going. Remember when God called you to do this? Remember when God charged you to keep going? Remember your calling, Paul will later tell Timothy, and I think that's the same for us today. Well, Paul continues on in the first part of 13. He said this, he said, I thank God, right? He's given me the strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. But here's where he starts to attack the false teaching. He says, though formally, I was a blasphemer a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul saw himself as a horrible sinner. I don't know what you feel about yourself this morning, but when Paul looks at himself, look at the words he uses to describe himself. The first one is actually quite shocking. Blasphemer? Well, according to Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, a blasphemer against the Holy Spirit is what? the unforgivable sin. And Paul is labeling himself as a blasphemer. Hey, he didn't start low and work his way to the top. He started up here. And now again, remember, he's talking to these false teachers. You people who are starting to say that the law needs to be recognized in order for salvation, look at my background. Look at my resume. Blasphemer. You want to take it another step? A persecutor of the church, the true church. Paul would stand there and hold the coats of men who would kill Christians because they were Christians. 
Paul would organize these riots. Paul would travel long distances to seek out people of the way, to stop it. This is Paul's life. I was insolent and an opponent of God. That's what Paul's resume was before the Lord would change his life. And these words carry some heavy accusations within them. Paul is laying out before Timothy and what he wants them, him, Timothy then to lay out before the church. Is he's saying, if there was ever a person who needed something plus Jesus, it was me. Jesus plus something, it would have been me because I am the worst, which he goes on to say later. The foremost sinner. I've done all these things. I've actively fought against Christ, his followers, and the way. And to be honest, he says, I was very zealous for this work. Paul saw this as a good thing to do. And that's why he would go on in the second part of this, uh, of verse 13. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul, what he's stating here is, I had a clear conscience in all of this. It wasn't like Paul was going to bed at night and suffering to sleep because he knew he was fighting against God. He was laying his head on the pillow at night, very easy falling asleep because he was saying, I'm doing God's work. I have a very clear conscience in my life. Paul didn't see himself as an evil person. Paul did not see himself as a terrorist. He saw him as a God-fearing, faithful Jew. One of God's own. And so his conscience was perfectly clear. I have no doubt that the false teachers in the church in Ephesus could be described the exact same way. They thought they were doing a good work. They thought they were being faithful to the word of God. They thought that they were advancing in a church, the church in a true and faithful way. Yet we see even with Paul... With a clear conscience, sin is sin. <laughs> you can happily stroll along and commit sin and then say, well, I didn't really know. The problem is, it's still sin. And the Bible tells us that sin, no matter what the severity of it, equals death, hell, and punishment. That's what sin equals. Now, we know that in Scripture there are different consequences for different sins. yes. There does seem to be different severity of sin, but in the end, sin is sin and equals death. And Paul knows that what he deserved, he didn't receive. That's why he says there at the end of 13, but I, I received mercy. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church. I was insolent. I was an opponent of God. And then he says, that word that we look for in scripture, but, but I received mercy. He goes on in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul describes the overflowing love of God that was poured out on him even in the midst of his sin. It reminds us of what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul, is, Paul again, he's, he's stating and pointing out. Notice he's not saying, I had a moment with Jesus, and Jesus, what he declared to me on that road to Damascus was, Paul, if you will get this stuff in order, 
I will then have mercy on you. That's not, what, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor of the church, I was insolent, I was a fighter of the church, but the mercy of God poured out on me. And not just poured out on me, he says in verse 14, but the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love of what? That are in Christ Jesus. This is something that Paul never seems to get past in all of his writings. He can't get over this idea of grace and he seems to have to fight at every turn to fight for grace. To say, no, it's, it's all grace, no me. It's all about Jesus and his work, not me. Not what we can do, not what we can succeed in. It's what Christ has succeeded in for us. And Paul is stating that again to Timothy to remind this church in Ephesus of its truth. And that's what leads to verse 15. Here in verse 15, Paul states for us, and this is why you need to highlight it, the reason why Jesus came. You need to highlight this in your Bible because you should never forget this. This is why Jesus came. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. We need to remember that. Christ Jesus did not come into, into the world to judge the ungodly. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Do you remember the moment that Jesus did this for you? I want you to think about it. Do you remember the moment when you realized Jesus died for me? For some of you, you might be able to go to that exact moment, that exact place, and think about it. For others of you, you might say, I remember when it dawned on me, I'm a Christian. I believe this. I've trusted in this. But can you think and remember that moment on this, on this snowy day when it was tough to get to church? And to be honest, some of you probably thought in your head, ah, maybe we won't go. But then guilt kicked in and you were like, ah, I'll go. Can you in that moment right now just think about the moment that you re realized Jesus did this for me. That's what's happening to Paul as he writes this. Realizing and remembering, I'm lost in my sin and I have no way out. There's no hope inside of me. And do you remember that hopeless feeling that you when, when you realize your sin and that it equals death, hell, and the grave? Yet the love of Jesus was shared with you. The grace of our Lord saved you. He showed you his truth. He showed you who he was. Your eyes were open to this truth. And you believed and you trusted in it. Do you remember that moment? No, I'm not saying again all of us have had this moment, but I remember that time in my life. I have no doubt about it. I remember praying in my parents' bedroom. After a Sunday night service, I don't remember what was preached, but I remember telling my parents that I need to be saved. And I was only seven, eight years old. Wasn't the smartest kid by any means. My kids remind me of that all the time. 
I had a 3.0 GPA. You would have thought I was an idiot to them. 3.0 GPA. I wasn't the smartest kid. But I told my parents, I, I need to be saved. I don't remember the prayer. I don't think anything magical happened. But I remember after we prayed, having a deep-seated realization that he has saved me. He saved me. I've been forgiven of my sin. And at a very young, youthful age of seven, I remember being very excited that God had done something for me. Now, as I've grown older, I think I've come to appreciate it more. Because I realized what exactly my sin deserved. And just like Paul says, but I received mercy instead. Some of you will remember this hymn, Grace Greater Than All Our Sin, and it's got the melody line that we would sing over and over again. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. If you're a child of God this morning, that hymn is true for you. I hope that you are resting in that grace. Grace that is greater than all your sin. All of it. Everything that you've committed, everything that you're going to commit, the love of your Savior has forgiven it. And you can rest assured of that today. Sadly, though, I think too often as Christians we forget this. Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners like you. Sinners like me. Sinners like Paul. And since this is the reason that Jesus came, should it not be the same for us as the church? Shouldn't our mission be the same as Jesus's? Now, we cannot save anyone. But Monroe Missionary Baptist Church does not go forth in the name of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Monroe Missionary Baptist Church goes forth in the name of Jesus, telling people about the love of Jesus, letting them know that that grace is still available, that that grace is still here. And we cannot forget that this is our task. We cannot forget that this is what we have to offer to the world, nothing else. We have Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I don't have anything else to give you. I feel like the apostles, food and drink, I have none. But in the name of Jesus, this is what I've got. Too often we want to give other things. Too often we think that maybe the church should have more. If we want to be effective, I think we should do more. Do more than the gospel. Do more than forgiveness of sins. Do more than telling the hopeless that there's hope. Do more for those who are at war within to tell them there is peace. And it's found in Jesus. Not in these other things. It's only found in Jesus. So verse 15 needs to be our rallying cry. But Paul goes on into verse 16 as we get ready to wrap up. He says, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul goes on in his example here of himself, showing how if God can save him, he can save anyone. Paul's, again, pointing out, it's not the law that saved me. Because if the law could save, then Paul would have been saved. He knew the law inside and out. He followed the law. But he realizes now the law isn't what saves. It's only found in the works of Christ that can save. And this goes directly against those teachings of the false teachers that Timothy is facing within his church. And as Paul talks about this, he's, he, it's, it's funny when you, when you listen to Paul and you read his writings. He, when he starts to talk about the grace of God, he ends up spilling over into some sort of song or praise. And I don't know if you realize it, but that's what we have in verse 17. Paul's talking about, he's trying to fight against these false teachers, and he says, look at me as an example. I'm the greatest sinner there ever was. And the grace of God saved me, not the law. His mercy overflowed in me. And he says in verse 15, right again, Christ came to save sinners, and I received this mercy as an example to those who believe. And then what happens to Paul in verse 17? He bursts out in song. And look at his song. Look at his testimony of praise in verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He closes his little testimony time of reminding everybody this is not about Paul. This is about God. It's about the work of God. It's about the king of the ages. It's about the immortal one, the invisible one. And he reminds them, remember he's in a town that is full of gods. The only God. There is only one God. And Paul says to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Faithful Christian, when is the last time you sat and pondered all of the good that God has done for you? You know, some of you are like me and you want to get into the weeds maybe of some theology. You want to get down into this and uh, you're in your books and you're studying and if you're like me again, you can find yourself at times getting angry at other Christians because they don't see things how you see it. And you start to think, this is what the real fight of the church is about. No. I think sometimes what we need to do, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But sometimes, Christians, it's good to just sit and to think. Think about all of the good God has done for me. Some of you this morning are very anxious, and you know that about yourself. You struggle with some depression and some anxiety, and things can really start working on you and that, and Satan can really use that to twist your mind and to twist your thoughts and to start doubting things and to start struggling with things. Can I, can I give you some medicine for that? Spend some time every day pondering on the good things of God. Spend some time reflecting on what Paul is talking about here. That God in his great grace, while you are still a sinner deserving of death, hell, and wrath, received mercy and the overflow of grace pours out in your life today. 
not just when you were saved at seven years old. Grace continues to pour over you today. You see, and when you start to, to think about that and you're reminded of how actually the, most, the biggest problem that I have in my life, God has dealt with it, he has cemented it, and he has nailed it to the cross, and I am his forevermore. All the other things start to get a little smaller. The fact that your kids are sick, the fact that maybe your relationship with your spouse isn't exactly where it needs to be, the struggles that you face at work, traffic, whatever it is that gets you so down, does it compare for a second to the good things that God has given you? Does it compare for a millisecond to the grace that he's poured out in your life in salvation? And if we're being honest, I keep hitting on salvation because that's the greatest thing, but all of us in our life, that grace has, has went over to many other things and you know it. Most of you, when we pray here, are going to go home. Catch that. You have a home to go to. A lot of you are going to go home with family. Who allows that? God in his grace. God in his care. Most of you, when you leave here, are not going to walk home. You're going to drive home. Who allows that? God and his grace and his mercy and in his care of you. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who loves us and who saved us. And it should cause us to be like Paul, to be praising his name. And when we stop praising his name, we allow these other things to creep in and we allow this life to become a burden instead of a blessing. If there was ever a person to think of life as a burden. Listen, it was the Apostle Paul. But that's not how he saw it. He said, oh no. I receive mercy for this reason, that as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, the mortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. Let that be our song too. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. God, I hope that this morning, on just a normal day in January, God, you know how it is around here where we live. January and February for most are the most depressing months of the year. And God, I hope on what for some is a very depressing day, I hope that this morning they have seen your love for them. The grace that overflows day in and day out. The joys that have been promised in Christ. The peace that has been given because of his work. God, we seek forgiveness for how little we praise you. It's very easy for us to come to you with wants, with frustrations, with desires. 
But oftentimes we find it hard to come to you with praise and adoration and song. God, forgive us of that. I pray that your praise would always be on our lips. That each morning when we wake up, we would realize again that your grace continues to overflow on us today. That you have forgiven us. That you love us. That we have a purpose in Christ Jesus. So God, I I pray for that person this morning just struggling. They're struggling in their life to, to see things well. All they see is the bad. All they see is the negative. They, they wonder if they can even be yours. God, remind them this morning. It's not about them. It's not about how good they are. Christ came to die for the ungodly at just the right time. Remind them that again this morning. God, for some this morning, maybe it'd be for the first time. But I have no doubt there's people here this morning who continue to try to climb this hill that cannot be climbed. They will never reach the top. And I hope that this morning you've shown them that. That only one could ever reach the top and it is Jesus. But by your great grace, he takes us to the top. Because of his work. He has accomplished it and therefore so have I. And so God, I pray that this morning you would save sinners and that you would remind those who you have already saved that you continue to forgive them and that you continue to love them I pray that you would help us as a church to remain faithful to you help us as individual church members to remain faithful to the tasks that you have called us to save us from burnout and all those different things help us to remember our calling help us to remember the privilege it is to be able to take a meal to a a fellow church member who's hurting. Help us to to remember the privilege of being able to pray for a family like the Delbins who've lost one of their children this week. Help us to remember the privilege it is to be able to open God's word and to teach children within this building or to open your word and to teach adults in Sunday school. God, help us to be faithful in those things that you've called us to by remembering our calling, by remembering the work that you have done for us, and by remembering that you continue to do that work. Jesus came to save sinners. And God, we praise you for that. God, as we sing this last song now, help us to worship you. Help us to respond to your word however we should this morning. Help us to glorify your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.